The mic in this podcast episode was turned up a little bit high, so it caught a few things like our feet hitting the table or someone drinking and putting the cup down. So I sincerely apologize for that, but I hope it doesn't take away from the content nonetheless. Welcome back to Live Freely, the podcast. If you enjoy what you hear today, there is so much more. You can go to livefreelyministries.com and you can attend our weekly live Bible studies for only $1 a month. And soon you'll be able to purchase Live Freely, the ticket, which is my first original book that's going to be released on April 14th my mama's birthday. If you're not sure yet, my Instagram handle is on the podcast cover art. We have someone who is more accomplished than most people his own age. He knows like everything about the political process. So welcome Mr. Tamon Hamlet to the Live Freely podcast. Well, it's an honor to be here. I'm always glad to be in Houston, one of the best cities in Mm -hmm. the state of Texas and you know, it's always great to help out a good friend like Lily. She's, you know, such an amazing person. So it's really my honor. You're so kind. <laughs> okay, so I met you through Jillian. She was working on a political campaign at the mm-hmm. time. And she would always talk about how much you knew about politics. And she would always ask you these um, political questions. And you would give her the answer about what's going on now, what's going on, and what's happening mm-hmm. in the current political system. So how did you get involved in politics? Sure. Well, let me start off by saying a little bit about myself. I was born. <laughs> in the city of Baltimore, and I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, Mm. uh, the only city in Delaware. Important thing is both of those states are very blue, Mm. uh, down the ballot, down to the city council. So as soon as I got to Texas, a nice Republican state, I knew right away to do everything I can to get involved in politics. (laughs) And you're 20. I'm 20 right now. So then when did you come to Texas? I came to Texas when I turned 18. I started school at University of Houston. Nice. And literally, quite literally, the first week I got here, I started an internship with a congressional campaign. Okay. And I got involved with college Republicans. And it's been a wild ride. (laughs) (laughs) And and I would just say, you know, if if you really want to see the change that you want to see being made in the world... You can't sit on the sidelines. You have mm-hmm. to be in the arena. got to be fighting. Great, as our great president, Theo Roosevelt, said, it's not the critic who counts, nor how the strong man stumbles, nor how the doer of deeds could have done them better. What matters most is the man who is actually in the arena. And I've been on the sidelines my entire life in the incredibly democratic state of Delaware and Maryland. You know, I've been a conservative for about uh, a few years now before I started getting involved in politics. It was a transition for me and I felt pressured you know like that I couldn't speak out or advocate for what I truly believed in high school because the high school I went to was um, very liberal and I felt like I couldn't join Republican races because they just flat out wouldn't win it's just too much of a of a of an uphill battle. So how did you discover mm-hmm. being a conservative in such a blue state? So I can pinpoint my journey to becoming conservative on one single man Nuh-uh. and that single man is secretary ben carson oh man and, you and were him for halloween <laughs> i was i was i was spooky, spooky ben, ben carson, carson. <laughs> and when i was in middle school they played his movie gifted hands way before he ran for president you know as an african-american man the way that black men and black women are portrayed in the media is you know you're going to be a gangster or you're going to mm-hmm. sell drugs or you're going to die at 20 or yeah. You're going to get involved in all these vicious things that are really harmful for the youth. And, you know, to be a kid in middle school and see this movie about an accomplished doctor who grew up in a single mother household Mm -hmm. in a low income environment in a public school um, education system. That's the same background that I had. I grew up in a single mother household. I grew up in a public school system, and I grew up in a low-income 
area, Wilmington, Delaware. And when you see someone like that, and he goes on to become a world-famous doctor, it's it's just like, whoa, that could be me right there. So fast forward a little bit, he runs for president. Um, I was 15 at the time, didn't know a lot about anyone really. The only people I knew were Ben Carson and Donald Trump. That's and all you need to know. <laughs> definitely. And, you know, my family's, well, most of my family is Democrat. The area that I grew up in was very Democrat. In fact, I remember at a young age just campaigning for a, the mayor of Wilmington, Mayor Williams, uh, just telling everyone, hey, go vote for this guy. Yeah. And it just kind of, you know, everyone assumed that you'd be Democrat. Right. You know, at the same time, you had the Democratic debates going on with uh, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders. Right. And I'll be honest, I was drawn to Bernie Sanders because he was anti-establishment. And, yeah. and that's what I'll give him credit to. He is consistent, unlike Hillary Clinton. He's consistent. He's always been, you know... He's, he's always been kind of predictable. Issues. Absolutely. But I never listened to the Republican debates until I heard of Donald Trump and Ben Carson because I knew who they were. And for the first time in my life, I was listening... I was compelled to listen to a Republican. And I listened to all of Ben Carson's interviews and anything I could find about yeah. him and him speaking and just listen to it. And one thing I'll say is, you know, my mom was a Democrat and my dad's a Republican, so I grew up kind of really okay um i grew up kind of in the middle of a moderate democrat i would say hearing hearing both sides so i was taught to listen to both sides and listening to ben carson there was things that he said that just you know kind of made sense you know we had to lower taxes taxes was you know in a city like mine taxes would crush families so that they couldn't get out of the environment that they couldn't they couldn't build generational wealth as opposed to in the great city of Texas, where they have no income tax. There you go. <laughs> so, you know, you, you listen to uh, Ben Carson, you know, I've always been pro-life, and he was strongly Good. pro-life. Yeah. And I didn't believe that you should ban guns in, in the nation, because when you live in an environment like Baltimore and Wilmington, you learn at a, at a young age, you got to protect yourself. Right. <laughs> wow. So, you know, my dad taught me to be pro-life and taught me how to defend myself and to... My grandmother actually offered to take me shooting when I was 16. No (laughs) way. You have such a unique story because usually people who grow up in Democratic states have two Democratic parents and they don't get that other side. So that's just the Lord's providence saying like, I have bigger plans for you. And those bigger plans actually, as they manifested in the 2020 election, is out of the 38 uh, electors of Texas, you actually are one of them. So that yes. means essentially to anybody who doesn't understand the Electoral College, that means that when the votes are cast, the popular votes, then these electors go on December 6th? December 14th. 14th. It was, um, I believe it's like the second Thursday in the month of December or something like that in the yeah. Constitution. Sometime, it, yeah. This year was December 14th. Gotcha. December 14th to cast their votes. And when you're watching an election and you see like each state has a specific random number on it, mm-hmm. that number is the amount of votes that that state gets mm-hmm. to add up to the 569 Five, 538. votes in the electoral college. So mm-hmm. you are one of the voters for Texas. Yes. Which is amazing. How did you get elected into that position? Absolutely. The United States was found on a system of the Electoral College, Mm -hmm. which is simply each state has their congressional district plus their two senators. So Mm -hmm. Texas has 36 congressional districts, two senators. We have 38 electors. And then you have D.C., which is D.C. is the will always have the same amount of electors as the least populated state. And that's how we get to the 538 Mm -hmm. number. Um, 435 congressmen, 100 senators, and 
DC, which is three. Uh, you need 270 to win. 270 right, to... That's the big number. That's number 270 win. And if there's a tie, which there's never have been, there's an incredibly long. lengthy process. Uh, ba- well, long story short, one sentence uh, answer is that um, each state will choose an elector to vote for the president. Uh, however, each state will only have one vote, I believe. And, um, and that would be... I think 26 out of 50 you would need to win. Right. But that's never happened before. So we, we came close in 2020 where that was uh, a little bit of That was definitely an idea we dabbled with. Yeah, with how the, you know, with how Nebraska and other congressional districts uh, like Maine 02. Yeah. Uh, so there was a, that was a possibility in 2020. But um, the state party uh-huh. will nominate a slate of an elector. So... Republican Party of Texas, Democratic Party of Texas were nominate their own slate of electors, and I was chosen to be on that slate. That's and so amazing that at, well, you were probably 19 at the time, right? I was 19 at the time. That yes. is just amazing. If that's not a testament to what a guy from, you know, a maybe not so good past can do for a state that's not even his own state, that's what America is about. Absolutely. So that's so inspiring. Absolutely. So you, of course, went and cast your vote. For Trump. No faithless electors. Mm. In 2016, there were two faithless electors, only faithless electors in the entire state for the Republican side. There were, I believe, four who were faithless electors from Hillary Clinton. So she lost, I believe, four to six projected electoral votes. In Texas, we had all 38 casted for Donald Trump and Mike Pence. Man, and people are like, ah, oh, Texas is turning blue. Well, maybe the people are because they're all coming from California, but the electors are not. So then yeah. you currently are working, you know, kind of around the Capitol mm-hmm. and you are very up to date on what is going on now. So would you tell us what you think is the most harmful or dangerous policy that the Biden administration is starting to pass? Because we all want to hate on everything, but we don't really understand exactly the ins and outs of what is actually going on. Well, that's a great question. Um, You know, I'm from Delaware. Uh, Joe Biden was elected to the Senate six years before my mom was born in Wilmington, Delaware. So, you know, I'm not too surprised of how his administration was pretty much going how we thought it would be going. discerning policies one of them is getting rid of our second amendment rights and trying to strip away ar-15s they they want to ban ars because they're big and scary or they want to put a a magazine limit and that's very dangerous because an ar-15 is for some people who can't use handguns an ar-15 is easier to use it requires less training and uh, then the question becomes well the magazine count is too high well it should only be limited to 10 or less right well the human body is very amazing when you have this amazing thing called adrenaline adrenaline (laughs) could give you a boost of strength and it could numb the pain and it can keep your body pushing so cops police officers would sometimes say that they would have to shoot people multiple times in order to To take them down to take them down that's a very scary thing you know just recently he launched airstrikes to syria and that was very uh, disheartening to see you know my hope is to commission into the army after graduating college, foreign policy is a big thing that I have to watch because, you know, that could be me in those shoes one day unconstitutionally launching airstrikes in, on a country that hasn't even provoked us. It's just very disappointing. Right. Really? I would say the biggest threat right now is kissing up to China. Mm. Biden, the whole Biden family, we've known this for years. They're in bed with China. Yep. And China is one of our biggest threats not a lot of people know about. You know, China would literally sneak up on our naval ships and they will quite literally cut a piece of that naval ship off and take it back to China to see if they can replicate it. You know, the age old indicator of a possible war or a possible 
conflict would be are they building up their military mm. it happened with world war one where this genius um alfred uh, a, a retired naval officer maher his name escaped escaped me at the moment but a retired naval officer comes up with a, a genius book about naval theory america ignores it except <laughs> except theodore roosevelt theodore roosevelt reads this book and says okay we got to build our navy yeah next administration comes in and cuts down the navy but everywhere else in the world is building up their navy they're building up their military and this is how we start getting towards World War One. And what's really interesting too is that specifically China's building up their mm -hmm. military presence, trying to copy us because we have the most advanced technology. Mm -hmm. And our military is getting gayer. My boyfriend's brother is in the core at Texas A&M right now, and he wow. is forced to take class at Texas A&M. Like there's one of the most conservative colleges. Right, exactly. I mean, in College Station is where the first Planned Parenthood closed down because of the 40 days for life. So very conservative area. But now they're, you know, having to wear masks all day. They, they're having to accept these gay people or these transgender people into the military, which when you start messing with the testosterone, that takes away from the manliness of our military. Mm -hmm. And so now that our military is telling white guys that they're terrible and, you know, black people that they're oppressed and they're giving them these white supremacy, white nationalism classes and making them you know, the physical, like, limits of, yes. or the physical... Um, fitness standards. The fitness standards have gone, I mean, just way down. Now, like, you have to be able to do, like, 50 push-ups. And in, in a little bit, I could do 50 push-ups if I really worked for it. And I think that our military, as a an effect of us pushing this agenda through the Biden administration, mm -hmm. is getting gayer and weaker. So I'll say a couple things about that. Um, firstly, masks do suck. Uh, for, for my, I'm in ROTC, mm. and they make us wear masks to PT and work out, and it's the most suffocating even, thing in the world. Doesn't even make sense. Yes. It's I, I do worry for our military. You know, yeah. Donald Trump really built up our military and built up. Mm. He increased our military with while decreasing our military presence abroad. Yeah. Uh, he was really big on the isolationist theory where we should be pulling troops back. I do worry about where the direction of the military is going. Um, I was disappointed in Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin signed a, def a defense contract for a couple hundred million uh, in a company that he owns one million stock in. Mm -hmm. And this is, was the whole thing in the Obama era. Really, it spanned back in the Bush era and even the Clinton era where you know, the industrial military context were in bed with contractors and right. they would start these conflicts to justify these millions and millions of dollars of contracts. Yeah. And it's been a cycle that's been honestly going back to the sixties and Right. Well two things. The Rothschild family, why they're so rich and so hated, is they would sell military weapons to either side. Essentially the same thing yeah, is going on. It's right. A it's a business that is risking people's lives. And another thing I know a lot about Napoleon, and they would say when Napoleon stepped on the battlefield, he was worth 10,000 men. Why? Morale. Morale is a huge Absolutely. thing. Morale and camaraderie in the military, that's what can trigger that adrenaline and that, that patriotism for people to actually go out and fight. And not to say that Joe Biden isn't a great leader, but he's not that charismatic. He's not instilling confidence in these men who yeah. are in the military. And so soon enough, America is going to be counted as less of the soldiers that we have because there's no morale. Nobody loves America anymore. We're being told that we need to hate America and try and change it from what it is. Yeah. And that's so, a very dangerous thing in itself. 
Yeah. So one thing I'll say about that is Biden is the commander of chief and, Mm -hmm. you know, he has reign over the military. Um, But thankfully, you know, the commander in chief's position is really limited to the day in day operations, especially abroad. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, morale has been a big issue in the military in which in which why recruiters are finding it so hard to recruit people. Um, I do hand it off to, you know, it's really the NCOs. It's really the, the commanders who are really with their their troops day in day, all those soldiers, the airmen, uh, the seamen, the Marines, and our guardians, the new uh, Space Force. You know, it's really the people who are, you know, in charge and leading them day and day that keep morale up. Um, I do want to touch back on a point that you made about um, transgender in the military. That's been an issue that's been popping up again. I think there's a lot of confusion on what this actually means. You know, people are celebrating it in a sense. Like, yes, you know, Biden has allowed trans people back in the military, but that's not exactly what Trump did when Trump ordered a ban on transgenders in the military. When you want to join, there's a huge medical process to go through, and you oh, can yeah. get disqualified for anything. For, I mean, it happened to me. Asthma, I, had, right? I had to fight for my disqualification. And I'm still fighting for it because it's such a long medical process. And, yeah. you know, if you cough at, at MEPS, you know, they'll send you home. They really will. And, and it's um, transgender people have a real, I don't want to say illness, but they have a real condition. Right. Uh, gender dysphoria. And I heard testimonials from people who serve, you know. If you're abroad somewhere and you don't have the medicine that you need, you know, it yeah, could be say very... If, say if you can't su- get the yeah. hormone treatment that you need, that it's is suffocating. an extra liability on the military that could cost mm-hmm. a lot more than you just being unhappy that you're not getting to go to the military in the first place. So that's a really, really good mm-hmm. point. We have to think practically about our military. We have to think practically mm-hmm. about all the ideas we're putting into practice. That's one thing I always say is there is such a disconnect between Washington and the regular people. And that's why it's important to be involved in government on a local level, but not treat yourself like royalty. Like mm-hmm. the reason why we wanted to get away from the monarchy is because they were so out of touch with what's going on. That's why the French Revolution started, because there was this aristocracy that was so tiny and the people had had enough of it. And we see this sort of, or almost this exclusion or this elite class happening in our society. And, you know, people are moving to Washington or going to LA and being like, if you're not here, you're a nobody. Well, what does that tell the whole society that we are now going to be told what to live by and how to live. One thing that I find very alarming in specifically millennials and Gen Z is we don't actually understand what the separation of church and state means. We hear this phrase a lot and it is thrown around a lot when it comes to exercising the freedom of religion. So I've heard people in an argument use the First Amendment and they say, oh, but the church has to be separate from the state. Therefore, we should not protect any religion, specifically Christianity. And I want to hear directly from you, what is the proper definition and effect of the separation of church and state? This has been one of the most, um, I would say, misused uh, clauses mm. in the uh, in our in our government. So the separation of church and state is a clause that came from the Bill of Rights. Basically, says that Congress shall make no law pertaining or restricting an established religion. Yeah. Now there's a lot of historical debate, but if you look at the exact text, the key word is a religion. To interpret this, lawmakers always interpret this as 
Congress cannot endorse a mm-hmm. single religion. They can endorse religion, but not a single religion. Mm-hmm. This is exactly why you hear lawmakers, they would always reference God, but they will never name Jesus Christ specifically. Because most religions, pretty much all of them, except New Age stuff, has a God, but not everyone has Jesus Christ. Exactly. Mm. So that's why you will always hear God, you know, on our money and God we trust. Right. Um, and now they're trying to even take that off. Absolutely. Uh, the most apparent situation in which people will recognize this is in public schools. You will always see every now and then a debate uh, about, you know, religion in public schools, specifically prayer in schools. If a football player is on a field, uh, can he pray before the game? Can he lead a prayer before the game? Mm-hmm. Or if a, a per- student wanted to run a Christian club, could they publicly lo- use channels in the public school to advertise and administer the club? People will say, well, no, it's a public school, more or less ran by the government, so we have to have a separation of church and state and be inclusive to everyone. Right. Um, however, you know, if you look at, you know, there's there's been tons of debate and court cases that settled this. There is a space for religion in classrooms. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it would be unduly if, if there was an entire class about a single religion. And, you know, if you look at our courts and you look at our laws, there is room for religion in classroom. Yeah. So, for example, a football player can lead a quick prayer before a football game. Mm-hmm. That is their own personal right to do so. Right. And it's the personal right of other players to join in on that player on that prayer. Other players can opt not out. join it. They can opt out. Yeah. They can have the choice to do that, but that's their choice. Because I want people to understand that so every form of government has a name and if a government were to choose a religion and one endorse that religion mm-hmm. and two um, force that religion and say, if you do not follow this religion, you cannot be a citizen, that would be called a theocracy. And we are a democratic republic. We are not a theocracy. Now, the founding fathers, most of them were actually Christian. Some of them weren't. You know, they just believed in a divine creator. And they said the Bible actually is extremely practical and we'll take principles from that. But that doesn't mean that we are forcing people to be Christian. Exactly. Um, like in the, a military chaplain, who is a really important role in you know military morale. Because if you don't have your religion, well then you know you might as well yeah. just not have anything to hold yeah. on to, right? But the military chaplain originally was Christian, a Christian position that you could apply for, and that was because. Most people were Christian, but now you see military chaplains all over protecting the freedom of any religion. I mean, I've talked to a few of them and they say any religion, right, that is infringed upon, I will fight back against because that's what our constitution upholds. Yeah. One quick thing I'll say about this. Uh, military chaplains have insane security. Yeah. They're that important. Officer I was talking to told me that they witnessed a chaplain and a grenade came and flew right by them. Oh and the security goodness. guard jumped on the grenade. Thankfully, he didn't go off. You know, he might have had someone looking out for him. Yeah. But they have some insane security. Yeah. Uh, another thing I'll say is, you know, our founding fathers came to this country because of religious persecution. Mm-hmm. You know, they understand what it's like. And yeah. The point I want to bring up is, you know, if the tables were turned and let's say you had prosecution against Christians, you know, we see that happening all around the world. Right. And, you know, the fear now is, is that going to come to our nation? 
are we going to have the same protections as other religions in this nation are yeah. receiving now? And I mean, it's already starting in the media. It's always the Christian nuclear family that get, is given a bad rap. It's always someone like a Jew who's going to be the bad guy in a movie. And, you know, it's, it's getting really evident. And so you really do have to think, when is it coming to it? And will we step up and protect our faith mm-hmm. and require and make such a loud fuss that the government has to protect our faith because, you know, otherwise we're going to get stomped out. Now, it is biblical that we will be stomped out, and that's what warrants Jesus coming back and, you know, his second coming, and that's what the book of Revelation is all about. Also, broader point that has to do with, you know, the church and the government. All right, the church has very specific cultural roles where it's supposed to help the people, it's supposed to get facilitate programs that help underprivileged people, such as the widows and the orphans or single mothers or anything to do with foster care, anything to do with children. They're supposed to like give open heart surgery to the people who attend church every week. And the problem I see a lot of times is that, of course, a lot of Republicans and conservatives specifically are based in the church. And we believe that the church has more importance than the government. Whereas the Democratic Party, a vast majority of them, especially the woke left mob and all that, they don't even believe in the church. Therefore, society as they see it is lacking the things that the church provides. And that is really sad. So then what happens? They look for those same benefits, those same social programs, that same comfort, encouragement, motivation that you are supposed to get from the church in the government. And that's one of the major reasons why I personally feel so bad for so many left-wing people who don't have a foundation in church. They're expecting that from the government. And when the government doesn't really do a good job at stepping into the orphan crisis, at taking care of foster care children, of providing, you know, a community and safe places for people who are immigrating over, and all those types of things, they get mad and outraged. So their feelings may be genuine of the empathy and the sympathy that they have, but they're looking for it in the wrong place. And I want to convey that to a lot of people because the state is not supposed to fill in where the church has failed, but they have to. I think as conservatives, you know, we have the typical belief that we're we're voting for a government. We're not voting for the leader of a church. And and we, you know, they follow that separation of church and state ideology where, Mm -hmm. you know, let's keep these two entities, you know, separate. But they should complement each other. They should. And, And this is what's happening, you know. Democrats are trying to transfer, you know, they're going after churches. And, you know, this is going to harm churches in inner city areas where they serve a congregation that's not, you know, monetarily as fortunate as churches in other well-funded areas. Mm -hmm. And that's how, you know, try to get people from that church to come over to the government and become reliant on their services and trust them as leaders and not leaders of the community. So the government is trying to fill the role of the church, whether they know it or not, and blot out the church. And this comes back to just man's pride and man wanting to be in control of everything. So kind of branching off of this, you know, Mm -hmm. with the problem with the church and then, you know, we see so much racial tension. And I personally don't think that's a government issue. I think this racial tension has to do with hearts. And what entity deals with hearts? Well, the church. The church is supposed to deal with these kinds of issues, not make policy for or against them, but at least to put them in perspective and say every person is a person and every life matters from conception to natural death. So I want to ask you, 
what do you think is the most harmful idea to walk these streets? And then who is it harmful to? Well, one thing I'll say about this is that, you know, to go back to a point uh, that I was hoping to make earlier, you know, everyone in minority communities are a lot more conservative than they think. (laughs) (laughs) Especially, you know, African-American Christians. Yeah. They tend to fall under conservative ideologies like, you know, a strong belief in the Second Amendment. They believe in strong family values and mm. connecting together. I saw this a lot. I come from a large family, yeah. so I saw this a lot. That's awesome. Uh, they believe in economic fiscal responsibility. My question is, who doesn't? You'd be surprised what you'd see. You know, people are taught to that you're better on your own. Oh, yeah. They're taught that the woman CEO unmarried culture or the free bachelor that has no children fulfillment a selfish life is the way to fulfillment which is a bunch of money get rich quick and spend it all on these glamorous items Mm. and it's very upsetting to see yeah um the church is what binds a community together yeah it keeps people grounded dr martin luther king was a pastor he didn't go to political events to speak he did but that's not where he got his start Mm -hmm. he started in the church right And the hope of the world is the local church, just like Jesus says in Revelation. And so kind of back to my question, Mm -hmm. what is the most harmful idea that has been birthed? Who is it the most harmful to? Um, Harmful idea policy-wise? Let's do like more cultural or social movement because we know that social movements and culture Mm -hmm. is actually upstream from what the policies, policies are. So one thing that I'll say is um, I think the downright most detrimental um, atrocity that has happened to specifically the black community was the abrupt tearing of the fathers in, in the home. Mm. Um, you know, it started in the, um, in the 60s with democratic policies, specifically, you know, Jim Crow and Lyndon B. Johnson. They were Southern Democrats. And these Jim Crow laws would create obs- obscene punishments for the littlest things for African-Americans and they targeted fathers. They tar- targeted African-American men so that they could get them out of the home. They could place them in prison. And, you know, if they get out, they would be arrested for nothing right after again. Mm-hmm. And what this does is, you know, it, it demoralizes the children. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't give them a strong father figure. The mother has to turn to someone or something if, if they couldn't raise them on their own. Uh, and that person was probably government, you know, mm. with, with, with welfare, because Linda B. Johnson signed that yes. into existence. And, and he actually said, he said, this will keep yeah. the black community enslaved Absolutely. forever. I, I don't have the exact numbers on me, but the last president to get, to get a majority black vote was Eisenhower. One of my personal favorite presidents, mm. General Dwight Eisenhower. He got 36% of the black vote in his first term, and when he ran for re-election, he got 40%. Kennedy won- runs. Uh, the theory goes is that Kennedy was very close with Martin Luther King. And when King was arrested, Nixon refused to comfort him or his wife, yeah. which is how the theory goes. And then Kennedy passes away. Uh, Lyndon B. Johnson becomes president. He takes right. over, and he passes welfare. And it's not just that, but it's it's laws that we've been seeing for decades and decades and decades, you know, Bill Clinton and Joe Biden, they started the 94 crime bill. Federal offenses for nonviolent or victimless crimes, or victimless crimes such as drugs. You know, they pump drugs into the community and they created laws to arrest people who use these drugs. Mm. They got them addicted and they created laws to arrest these people so that they can get the father out of the home. And it's, it's sad because now 
you're seeing this pour into all communities. You know, mm-hmm. I think the homeless rate for fathers is seventy percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, for white people, it, it has climbed to fifty percent. Wow. And there's many reasons for this, but the main, I think, in my opinion, one of the reasons is you know we're demoralizing or discouraging marriage. Right. We're we're encouraging a hypersexualized society. Mm-hmm. And we're not really or teaching children about the relationships that they should be. Yeah, and I mean, that is a very biblical principle. There's tons of chapters in the Bible, starting with Ephesians 5, about why marriage is important mm-hmm. and why gender roles are natural to who they are. I oftentimes think of like, you know, when I want a husband, what do I want to see in him? Well, I don't want my husband to be emotional. I don't want him to be weak. I don't want him to be someone who is cowardly. I don't want him to be someone who can't fulfill the roles as a father should. And when the government steps in and starts dictating what the gender roles are, that's when they're going to get messed up. And with the sexual revolution and, you know, the homeless epidemic and the fatherlessness um, happening, like, out of that, we see that legal victimhood that keeps people down. And so they're like, ah, the systemic racism. It's like, well, that was created to keep a specific race down. That's the real racism that we should be talking about. Because any conservative would never... I mean, at least anyone who should be respected would never say black people don't matter or black people are awful or terrible just inherently because of their skin color. I mean, we are so pro-life and we are so all lives matter. I don't know why that statement is so, so inflammatory these days. And it's because the government has instated these policies that look like they're supposed to help people but really they just make them reliant and make them slaves again well to add on to that you know the government has a lot of power but they're not the ones um who push all this it's it's really a grip on culture Mm. you know when i was a kid as i mentioned the portrayal in the media was that you would join a gang and you would you know the the goal was to get as much money as possible and to have you know as as many women as possible that was the portrayal of the media and that was just the culture mm-hmm. that people grew up in and if a democrat wants to push an agenda or a message they're not going to go to the government and look up an email list and send out an email right. they're going to go on tv or they're going to go on the radio or they're going to go on they're getting into cartoons and animation now and it's i think as conservatives we tend to demoralize things like art and culture and music uh, but we really do need to be in those spaces in those areas you know when I was in high school, I was really into art, and I took art classes, and so I was awesome. I was probably the only conservative in there. Yeah. Um, and well, it's because one indictment I see conservatism having, and you know, ultra spirituality, mm-hmm. is as soon as any entity that we are involved in gets pushed back on and gets you know popularized in more secular secular or liberal areas, then we say, oh. It must not be of God. We must step away from that. But Christians are not called to be part of the world. We're supposed to be in the world and influencing the world. And so you're so right about that. Is The second that something 
is pushed up against us, any ideological battles happen, we are like, oh, nope, the Lord does not want us there because the Lord does not want tension. And he, you know, we like the ooey gooey God, but we always forget that he's a God of justice. He's a God of fighting and he's a God of wrath. And of course, we're not supposed to go deliver wrath to everyone. However, we do need to put our feet in the ground and dig our heels in and say, no, we are here. We are in entertainment. The Daily Wire is doing a great job at doing. They're saying we are here. We're prominent and we're going to we're going to fight this battle. But Christians need to be in the taking the art classes. We need to be in theater. We need to be in culture to start influencing. You have to influence from the inside, not the outside. Passion of Christ, I believe it was called. Incredible movie. Yeah. Will that be made today? Uh, would it have been made today? It's hard to say. You know? Yeah, what studio would approve of a script that is purely based on the thing that they hate, which is Jesus Christ? You have even these movie companies saying, if you want to get an award, like an Oscar, mm-hmm. for your movie, you have to have a certain amount of colored people. You have to have a certain amount of transgender people. And, of course, that affirmative action is equally as dangerous for the quality of society. Yeah, You know, I think it's very ironic how... Um you know, people on the left or side, they don't see the irony in their words. You know, they claim they're not racist, but but secretly, very, very subtly, they throw in these terms, you know, affirmative action. I, I see people who really don't deserve affirmative action being awarded just for their skin color. You know, I, I mean, I've seen people who are from a upper middle class area getting benefits for maybe it's a job acceptance or maybe it's a scholarship. Just for their skin color. And it's also Republicans are trying to pass voter ID. They say, well, this is racist because, you know, minorities don't know how to get an ID or... Didn't Joe Biden say, like, <laughs> black people don't know how to work the internet to sign up to get a vaccine? Yeah, yeah. that was him. And, and that it's... just has to tell you about the inherent racism that yeah. they are talking about they're talking out of both yeah. sides of their mouth poor kids are intelligent as white kids or um, something like that yeah yeah poor kids are just as intelligent as white kids and <sighs> let me just say I, i've seen some incredible african-american men and women and it's it's so inspiring to see you know yeah. uh you know black people we can accomplish so much and you oh know gosh, we could yes. we could fund our own communities we could build our own generational wealth we could do all of this if we just step aside from government if we just step aside from what we're taught we're supposed to be and really just focus on building our own community so true Uh, i think it goes back to those family values those strong community values that we need to you know bring back and focus on fiscal responsibility and being there for the children and just uh building our education because the market money, mm-hmm. college campuses shouldn't, and, you know, your brain power and how much work you put in is not contingent on the color of your skin. If you are qualified for the job, you're qualified for the job and you should get the job. If you've worked hard for it, you should get it. If you make a million dollars, well, you probably either got really lucky with your stocks, but you've probably worked really hard for that. I I came from a very, I mean, I guess I could say I grew up in the hood. (laughs) You know, I I know a lot of people in, in unfortunate situations. You know, I know people who... Uh, you know, I know this one person who's very close to me, a family member of mine who was arrested. Uh, they were a three-time felon and were arrested a third time on felony charges right after I was born. Mm. And that person today owns their own truck driving business. Wow. They own their own Which business. is actually a dying industry. The reason why truck drivers are paid so much is because nobody wants to do it. It's never too late to turn mm. things around. Absolutely. I, I've seen people, there's plenty of stories like this where people will 
do whatever they can to turn things around. Like my mom, um, you know, bless bless her heart. She had to raise two twin children. Um, and, you know, she had to drop out of school because of us and because of everything was that was going on. And she went back later, you know, and went back to school. She's currently in school now, yeah. finishing her degree. And it's, and it's really inspiring to see. We, it's, it's never too late to turn things around and if right. we really put our minds and focus on you know a goal you know we can accomplish anything it doesn't have yeah. to do because self-responsibility is not a value that we have in society anymore and being the victim is very comfortable specifically in Gen Z, and that's what we like to talk about. We like to have so much empathy and sympathy for the victim, and we love playing the victim at the Mm -hmm. same time. And now it's a scramble to who can victimize and who can claim the title of victim first. It's it's the oppressed Olympics. Yeah, yeah, that's (laughs) a great way to put it. The more oppressed you are, the more bonus points you get, or that's how it works. Yeah, and that's not not a sense of equality. It's not equality in outcome. It's equality with just in our inherent rights it's oh man there's so much i love like about what you are and what you stand for and what you're doing you're a true patriot seriously because you believe in the fundamental equal rights of Mm -hmm. everyone doesn't matter where you come from I, i believe anyone can achieve anything i think i strongly believe that you know anyone should join the military if they feel like it if they're qualified i believe anyone can succeed in life or get a high paying job or start their own business it doesn't matter what they what they are they can do it but it has to start with them taking responsibility yeah learning these self-sustaining skills on their own mm. and really just relying on their community and building each other up instead of free handouts or assistance i'm not demonizing assistance you know there are instances where it could really work it could really help those people yeah the problem comes and when people become so dependent on you know assistance or free handouts they rely on it they expect it and that cripples you absolutely it it makes them mentally weak and you know when they don't get their way that's when they temper chance from so So. true like i was a gymnast for about six and a half years and once you got older and the constant pounding a lot of times for girls that were taller like myself made your wrists hurt and so you got these things called tiger paws which were like little leather things that would go from the middle of your hand around your thumb and to like just below your wrist to help you help support your wrists and I never got them because I was like hold on if I get the tiger paws to help me with my gymnastics what happens in competition when I'm not allowed to be wearing those my wrists are going to be weak they're going to hurt I'm going to do worse because I've been you know, having, having this assistance for so long. Yeah. Exactly. That's the same problem I see with welfare, with affirmative action, and with this constant talk about victimhood and victimization. It's the self-responsibility to keep your wrists yeah. strong so that you can do the correct tumbling yeah. movements. But I, I will say it's, it's a hard sell, mm. um, and that's why the Democrats are so good at getting these bases. And a friend of mine once mentioned, you know, the Democrats are basically that kid in middle school who promised free homework and more recess to get elected <laughs> to the, to the student presidency and that's really what it is it's you know everyone likes free money everyone likes you know the easier path it's an easy sell i think the question is how do conservatives push their message onto this newer generation i think the answer to that is that you get younger people more involved and you show them like hey this is me i can do this too Mm -hmm. and you know we have great people in the texas house we have great people in congress we flipped so many districts and all of those victories all of them were carried by either a 
woman, a female Republican, a minority Republican, or a veteran Republican. Man. All of them were carried, and not only was it flipping districts, but holding closed seats. There were districts that Biden won. Biden won the districts. But the congressional person, the congressional candidate, still won the congressional district Mm -hmm. just by getting out there, talking to voters, and showing them, like, hey, I'm the new generation of conservatism. Yeah, because conservatism is relatively attractive. If you still have a little bit of dignity and you want to claim that, Mm -hmm. then you are probably going to end up being, you know, not converted, I guess, but turning into a conservative because we want to do things ourselves. We have that work hard and play Mm -hmm. hard attitude. Texas House candidates said it best, you know, we have to reintroduce the Republican Party to these voters that are leaving us. I think the future is in the Rio Grande Valley. Mm. Because Trump performed so fantastically in the Valley, and he won Zapata County, a county that voted Clinton 62% in 2016. He won it 52% in 2020. Hispanic County right alongside the border flipped to Donald Trump. On the other side, our Senator John Cornyn did not perform so well in these areas. Mm. And why is that? That's because Trump is a different candidate than the Republicans that we're used to. Mm. And congressional districts down there, I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head, Texas 15, Texas 36, and Texas 28, I believe, the three long districts down by the border, Mm -hmm. the Republican candidates gained more votes than what they did in 2018. So much so that Texas 15, the Republican candidate, almost flipped the districts. There were 7,000 votes short. They had no name ID. They had no main party help because the main party is going to say, oh, well, that's a super blue district. We're not going to invest in it. It's a a lost cause. So imagine if they had the national help or the party help funding this campaigns because to reach... Because we think, yeah, we're like, they're so far gone. Well, no, they're not. The loser mentality. Yes. They think, oh, this isn't worth it. We'll, we'll, we'll pull our money and put it into candidates that have no chance of winning. The candidates who ran against AOC, Ilhan Omar, uh-huh. and uh, Maxine Waters, those are super blue districts. Right. Filled with Democrat voters. They're never going to go Republican. But all those candidates raised $9 million in total. And we need to recuperate, build a strategy, and really target these areas and pull in voters who might not look like Republicans, uh, but we need to go out there and contact them and talk to them. Yeah, the new American dream has to be work hard, play hard. It's no longer has to be go to college and settle down. It's you got to work. You got to work for what you want. And that is awesome. That is so inspiring. So reinstating that attitude of self-responsibility and victimhood is not an option into our culture will really, really, really benefit our politics because we will want to start voting for people who are actually, one, going to get the stuff done that we elect them for. But then two, who don't have inherently racist views. If you believe that black people need handouts all the time because they are so not as smart, they don't know how to use the internet, they they have so many more single mothers mm-hmm. because that's how they want to be. It's like, no, that's inherently racist, believing that they are less equipped to do things that other people are yeah. able to do. You know, Planned Parenthood, they always oh. put their, their facilities in. So many of their facilities are in inner city communities. Yes. What does that tell you? That tells you that Margaret think- Sanger was legitimately a racist population. Yeah, she would exactly. say that there are too many black pe- pe- babies. People think they moved away from it, but when you look closely, it says that they think that a black woman or a Hispanic woman um, are less capable of taking care of a child than a yeah. white woman. And, you know... So true. So 
I guess Gen Z, we need to ask ourselves who is the racist here and who is actually putting their actions and their words, what are matching their actions and words together? And then how can we take charge of our own lives, take charge of our roles in the church and our roles in society and actually make a difference person to person because people, no matter who you are, what you come from, all are valuable. You ha you have the ability to impact anyone you come across. And once we start giving handouts to different races, mm -hmm. well, that's the moment when society starts exactly. devaluing life. With the whole COVID situation, it's, it's so painful to see because now people, more people are losing their jobs and they're becoming dependent on uh, unemployment insurance mm. and welfare programs. So now it's not just pouring into the single area. It's going to go to, you know, suburban areas. Yeah. And once they get the suburban areas, they're going to get the rural areas until they just have complete governmental control. Mm -hmm. So we cannot let them do that. We need to create our own opportunity. We mm -hmm. need to be helping each other out in our communities, you know, mm -hmm. being together, not relying on the government because isolation is the first thing that the devil's going to use to really try and tear everyone apart. Mm -hmm. So that's a big mouthful of things to do. But basically, we need to give conservatism a facelift because conservatism is pretty much equal to the American dream. You need to work hard mm -hmm. if you want to get what you want and you cannot rely on anybody else to mm -hmm. get it for you because you will end up being reliant on them just like the girls who had tiger paws were mm -hmm. in gymnastics. So Tamon, thank you so much for your wisdom and your clarity of what is important. Um, we encourage you to just keep going, keep being that conservative who may not look like all the other conservatives because we need you to be speaking out about the truth that all lives matter so we can get to a place where the policies actually reflect that. So thank you. It's my pleasure. You know, I got my start out and just volunteering, mm. just volunteering. I volunteer for a congressional campaign. I volunteer for my local party. And it's really the local politics that dictate your life, pretty much. The offices closer to you are going to have more of an impact, and that's really true. Yeah. So I can encourage everyone here to find a congressional campaign or find a Texas House race, or, or if you're not in Texas, just find a state house <laughs> race, find a city council race, and just get involved. Volunteer for a candidate that you believe in. Yeah. Uh, get involved in your local party, your local county party, or I'm, I guarantee you there's going to be young political groups around yeah. your area, so just... Because it's we the people. Exactly. It's not Make them us, the government. Exactly. <laughs> You know, you got to just make those connections and really get involved. We need more people out here volunteering, knocking doors, talking to voters, making phone calls. That is how we're going to win back the House in 2022. Yeah. That's how we're going to win back the presidency and the Senate in 2024. All right. Thank you so much, Taewon. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Live Freely podcast. If you want more, head over to livefreelyministries.com because every week I host live Bible studies over Zoom that are full of discussion, encouragement, and talking about tough questions in a safe environment. Make sure you snag a copy of the book Live Freely, The Ticket, which is coming out on April 14th. And if you're not sold yet, my Instagram is on the podcast cover.